All right. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab a pew Bible in front of you. We're going to be on page uh, 958 to start in the Gospel of John. And if you, as always, if you have any questions that arise during the message this morning, um, feel free to text them in to the text number, uh, and we'll uh, interact with them a little bit at the end. And so we've been uh, going through this this idea this series talking about who we are as a church. And we've talked about just kind of the mission that we're on, the reality that God is not hidden, that, that he is pursuing people. He is revealing himself to people and that we're, we're meant to be people that, that know Jesus and make him known into the world. And, and then we talked about some realities that are true about us. We said that we've been adopted by the father, that we belong to the family of God. We said that we're loyal to the son, that we pledge our ultimate allegiance to Jesus and that we are empowered by the Spirit. We've been gifted by the Holy Spirit, and we've been given the ability to produce fruit, and we've been given spiritual gifts, uh, and the, the work that we do on the behalf of the Lord comes through that empowering. So we're going to take a little bit tur- of a turn starting this week, going from things that are a reality about us to things that we are becoming. This other uh, banner here says we, are, uh, says we should be people who, are, we are becoming people who, and then there's a list of six attributes. Today we're going to take a look at the first one that says l- becoming people who live in communion with God. I've mentioned this Henry Nouwen quote a couple times in this series, but I think it's worth repeating. He says, from the moment we claim the truth of being the beloved, we are faced with the call to become who we are. And so there are things that we know to be true about us, but there are also things that we know that we are growing in. There are things that we, we have not yet arrived at. And as we go through the next six weeks, we're going to take a look at what our priorities for us as Revelation Church to be about, to be growing in. So what does it mean to live in communion with God? A number of months ago, I set up a camera in my office here. For those of you who don't know, my office is through that door. And I set up a, a little like, uh, you know, security camera to just make sure all of our stuff stayed where it belonged all week long. And, and the way you do that is, is you take the camera and you take your phone and you download an app and then it says, put your phone next to the camera. Have you ever done anything like that with like Bluetooth? And it, it's like the camera doesn't do anything until the phone's right next to it. And then it just lights up and it starts setting up and it knows everything that it needs to know about where you are and what your account is and, who, and all these things. The device, the camera only comes to life when it is near the phone. And this is my working definition of communion, is we come to life when we are near God. So this morning, we're going to be talking about living our lives in close proximity to God, experiencing him and being formed by him. This core value of ours up until this year, the way I was articulating it, you may have remembered if you've been with us for a while, we used to, it used to say prayer is primary. And I think that that's helpful, but I also feel like we need to broaden our scope a little bit because we tend to have a very narrow view of prayer. The reality is we aren't really after prayer as a goal so much as a process. We're after a relationship, communion, 
unity with God. I was talking with Joanna this week about our, our anniversaries. Uh, I'm a big anniversary guy. I know I don't, I don't want to like put any pressure on any of you guys that aren't anniversary guys, but, but I'm a big anniversary guy and I like to do big stuff for my wife for our anniversary. And uh, she was reminding me of, I think it was, she's, she knows all the numbers. I think she said it was our seventh anniversary. And uh, we got like two big car repair bills and like it blew all the money that we had. And our anniversary plans got completely derailed because I couldn't do anything fun. And we went to Melts and had a grilled cheese sandwich and we took a walk. And I was super bummed about it. Like I was just really, man, that's lame. But the reality is like Joanna didn't care. She just wanted to hang out with me on our anniversary. And she had to remind me, hey, like quit moping. We have this opportunity to spend time together. It's not about the process. It's not about the pageantry. It's not about doing these big things. It's about spending time together. And so as Christians, we need to pray. We need to pursue discipline. We need to get more practiced in prayer. But if all we do is fuss about crafting the perfect spiritual prayer life, and we fail to miss out the reality that that God just really wants to spend time with us, then I think we miss it. And so this year, I've kind of broadened out this idea of prayer into just spending time living in communion with God. And so as we get to our passage this morning, Jesus is speaking the night that he's betrayed, before he's crucified. He's giving this this long um, set of instructions to his disciples. And in John 15, 1 and 2, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. So the first thing I want us to notice here is that Jesus says that we are alive. Jesus uses a metaphor to describe the disciple that speaks of life and fruitfulness. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. So as part of our understanding of what it means to live in communion with God, we need to understand that we are alive. We are living. And and not just as biological entities, but as people in community connected to Christ. We've been given a different, greater, newer kind of life. And all these passages about new life in Christ, and maybe if you're familiar with the scriptures, you can think of more because there's lots of them. They should spark something in our minds. They should make us go, yeah, I thought I was alive. Haven't I been alive my entire life? But now, now that I'm a Christian, now, now I'm alive? Does that mean I wasn't alive before? And in a sense, yeah, it, it, that's what it does mean. Paul in Ephesians 2 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit who works in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. 
So Paul says, both we lived our lives a certain way, but in living our lives a certain way, we were dead. So there's something about our existence that was dead. And if you're not a Christian, if you haven't been born again by the Spirit of God, if you haven't submitted yourself to the Lordship of Jesus, that's still true of you. Even though you're biologically alive, there's something about you that is dead. And you may say, well, I feel alive. And, and we could say, well, it's, it's just a metaphor, right? But what's it a metaphor for? That's, that's an important question when you read the scriptures. Like a lot of things are metaphors in the scripture, but that doesn't mean they're meaningless. It means they point to something deeper. Both of my children have had uh, stuffed dogs for their, uh, their entire childhoods. And, and I, I've, I've memories of, of, of stuffed animal dogs with like a, a scarf wrapped around their neck and they just kind of pull on them and the dog just kind of bounces along the floor and they're walking the dog. And they pick up the dog and they go, ruff, 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 you know? There's like this, this idea that there's this, this dog here. But this dog is not alive. It's, it's a stuffed animal. Last year, we got a real dog a golden doodle named Eustace. And, but the thing is, is if, if Eustace was laying on the ground and we were dragging him across the floor with a leash and we picked him up by the na- nape of the neck and went, rah, 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 that's our dog. Like that would be weird. Something would be wrong. And so when the scriptures say that we are alive, we have to take a moment and go like, okay, well, something about my everyday existence should look different, should feel different, should be different than those who are still in their sins. And the good news is that in Christ, we are alive, we are active, we are taking in and engaging with the world in a way that we were unable to before we were saved. So Christian, this morning, you are alive to the spiritual world and to the presence of God in ways that you were not before he saved you. The second thing I want to notice about this passage is that we already have communion with God. Look at verse three. You were already clean. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Jesus says, remain in me. The insinuation there is that we are already in him. We don't have to get into communion with Christ. When he saves us, we are grafted in to that branch, that vine. This is much like these other characteristics. This is a reality about our lives. He says, we have already been made clean How does that happen? It happens by the blood of Jesus. We don't have to go find communion with God. We don't have to earn communion with God. We don't have to create it. So if that's true about us, then then why am I saying that this is something that we are becoming? Because the reality is we have to live out our communion with God. 
The branches have no inherent life in them. They will wither and die outside of continual connection with the vine. So we constantly need to be connected to Jesus. But the thing is, is, is we wander away, right? We, we get busy, we f- get forgetful, we get uh, something shiny ha- happens over here and we go after that or we get depressed and lose our focus. We make the choice not to lean into the new life we have been given in Jesus, but to continue to pursue the ways of living that we were accustomed to when the reality was we were dead, And often we don't realize this until we are in a really spiritually sick state. Have you ever been there? You you wake up one morning and you go like, I just feel like I'm really far away from God. It's not because he's left you. It's because we've just wandered off. Like we have a habit to do of doing. Have you ever done the science experiment where you you get a a cup full of coffee water and fill it full of like red or blue food coloring and put celery stalks in it. And over about a week, the, the celery soaks up the colored water and turns the leaves all blue or red. And can you imagine that celery being like, look, I'm alive. I'm sucking up the water. I'm so fruitful. Look at how it's affecting my leaves. That celery's doomed, Right? That celery's dead. It's been separated from the plant. It can suck all that water all it wants, but it's disconnected. I feel that in my own life. Look at all the, look at all the things that I'm doing for you, God. Look at how busy I am. Look at the fruit. And Jesus says, like, yeah, I'm, I miss you. I haven't, I haven't spent any time with you lately. Where are you? So if communion with God is a reality that we have, but it's also something that we have to live into, how do we do that? What does it look like to live into this reality? James writes in his letter, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So this is important. God is is omnipresent. This is one of the characteristics of God that we believe to be true about him. He exists everywhere by default. If he created the universe from nothing, it is ultimately smaller than him and exists in a way that he is, he encompasses every point of it all at one time. But he lives in us in a special way, always through the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet he expresses himself further in ways that we can comprehend in certain circumstances. And so the question for us this morning is, does scripture teach us what those circumstances are? If I want to pursue communion with God, if I want to lean into this reality that he is the vine and I am the branches and I want to make sure that I remain in him, what does that look like? Where do we go? What do we do? to live in communion with God. I'm drawing on the work of a pastor named John Thompson here. He talks about something called guaranteed places of encounter. Places where the scripture says, if you show up here, God promises to meet you. seems like that would be something important to know 
if we're people that, that really want to be connected to God. I'm going to list some. There are definitely more. As you, as you study the scriptures, you might want to take note of the places where God says, I'm here and I will meet you. The first one is the proclamation of the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. The good news about Jesus, this spoken word, Paul says, is the power of God. The good news that Jesus is king, that he's defeated the powers of darkness, he's paid the penalty for our sins and has rescued us to be his people, and anyone can come to him for new life. That word, it saves people. It builds up the church. It kills sin. It creates generosity. And it casts out demons. The gospel is the power of God. And wherever the gospel is being proclaimed, God is there. And so whether we're talking about the gospel on a Sunday morning or whether you're sharing with a coworker what you believe to be true about the world and, and you bring up the good news about Jesus or, or how or you're sharing with your family or whatever the circumstances are, that experience of the spoken word of the gospel is a place where God will be present. Regardless of whether it's listened to or not, God is present in the proclamation of the gospel. The second thing is, God is present in the scriptures. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So next week, when we talk about being submitted to scripture humbly, we're going we're gonna to plant on this verse talk about what the scriptures are and how we use them. But for now, Paul says that the scriptures are inspired by God. Some of you know this, but that word inspired is a word that Paul made up. Uh, it's theonoustos, and it's the word for God and the word for breathed. It's the only time in, in ancient Greek that we have that word, so we just think Paul was like making up new words. But the scriptures have been breathed out by God. Do you want to encounter the living, real presence of God? Read the Bible. Be in the word. Be people who take time out to read the scriptures. I know sometimes I get the impression that, that my time is, is spent more profitably when I read about the scriptures Many of you know this. I'm a reader. I like to read books. I like to read theology and, and all kinds of things that are about God. But God doesn't live in those books. They can be helpful. I encourage people to read frequently. But God is in the scriptures. He's breathed them out. And if you want to experience the presence of God, if you want to live into the communion you have with God, be someone who spends time in the scriptures.
Thirdly, gathered worship. Listen to the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful and let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching." The author of Hebrews, in this extended section and all throughout the book, he's continually talking about the gathered church. The early church gathered together in similar ways, just like we do. Our forms and our and things are very are very different in their cultural forms, but but the idea that they were together is the same. And and he describes this as being able to enter into the heavenly sanctuary through the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus, the, the barriers that the Jewish religion placed on people are gone. It used to be that once a year, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and experience the presence of God as he made a, a sacrifice to forgive the people of their sin. And when Jesus died on the cross, we read in the gospels that the curtain of the temple was torn And the author of Hebrews picks up this idea and says, we've all been given access to the direct presence of God. And he ties this in as we experience God's presence with our corporate gathering. We're allowed to enter into the very presence of God through Christ. And the author of Hebrews is saying that in the context of the assembled gathering of God's people. We read about this elsewhere in Psalm 22. We read, but you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. God says that he is present in a special way when, when we sing. You sing? I get, I get the privilege of, of leading music sometimes, and I know many of us sing This is a beautiful room to hear us all sing. Some of us just kind of stand and scowl though, which is fine. Some of us come late so that we don't have to sing. Maybe you say, well, I sing badly. Jesus doesn't mind. Because see, we're, if we're not singing together as God's people, if we're not gathering and, and performing for one another a reminder of what the gospel story is, those were the songs that we sang this morning, the reminder that we've been saved by grace alone. This is par- part of our gospel story. If we're not singing, if we're not gathering, we're missing out on the presence of God in that moment. Another famous verse, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them in Matthew 18. Now, in the context of this, Jesus is talking about church discipline. He's talking about the member of the, of the community that has walked away from their faith, that is acting a way that is habitually out of congruence with what it means to follow Jesus and is unrepentant for that sin 
And, and, and you're, he calls us individually, if someone sins against you, to go to them and try to work it out. And if that doesn't work, then you bring a couple people with you and, and plead with them to repent from their sin and to follow Christ. And if that doesn't work, he says, bring it before the church. And the church is to plead for them that they would follow Christ. And he finishes off by saying, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Jesus is present when we gather. I wonder how many of us think about that when we come to church in the morning. I, for those of you that, that come early, we, in the band and the setup team and everybody, we get together at 9.30 and pray and uh, anybody's welcome to come pray with us at 9.30 if you want to be here. But one of the things I frequently am reminded of and, and try to pray for is just how hard it is to get to church in the morning. Like you got to scrape your windows and there's kids and kids are always a mess and there's breakfast and clothes and all of the things. And, and sometimes there's just so much stress and anxiety to try to get out the door by 10 o'clock. And unfortunately, because of those circumstances, I feel like oftentimes our hearts and our minds are not tuned to the fact that we are coming together to be in the very presence of God. The next area that we can be guaranteed that Christ is present is in our suffering for the sake of the gospel. Paul writes in Philippians 3.10, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul says, I want to know Jesus better and the way that I am going to become more acquainted with who Jesus is, is through suffering. And this is hard for us because we don't, if we're honest, we don't really suffer this much, that much in this country. I mean, there are, there are pockets of things that are unjust for, for Christians here and there, but, but overall, we, we have so much freedom to worship and live our lives as we see fit. And, and we imagine suffering is the police coming to our door and beating it down and arresting us for being Christians. Unfortunately, that is the reality for thousands and thousands of Jesus people all the way around the world. Christianity Today just published their 2021 report on Christian persecution and over 4,600 Christians were killed just for being Christians in Nigeria last year. Um, North Korea has been surpassed by Afghanistan as the hardest place in the world to be a Christian right now. And we look at those things and, and we, we grieve for our brothers and sisters and we think like, well, I don't experience anything like that. Well, listen to the author of Hebrews again in Hebrews chapter 12. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Have you ever thought of that? It's quite the encouragement. You know what? No one's killed you yet. Good job. See, what is persecution ultimately? It's choosing to follow Christ in the face of opposition. And what is standing against sin? It's the same thing. It's choosing to follow Christ in the face of opposition. 
when you choose to love your enemy, when you choose to walk in compassion, when you choose to live in honesty and integrity, do you suffer? In a way, yes, you do. Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. So in the fight of, against sin, there is part of us that we are putting to death, and it is a form of suffering. If a day should come when the police come to the door and try to beat it down and take us away for being a Christian, you always have the opportunity to lie, to deny Christ, to do whatever it takes to not experience suffering. And it's a different temptation, but it's of a, it's of a similar kind when you're faced with lust or greed or anger. You have an opportunity to deny Christ in that moment and to give in to your sin, or you have an opportunity to stand against your sin and potentially suffer, at least in, your, um, in a small way, for the sake of Jesus. Here's a quote from John Thompson. He says, some of us don't encounter God closely because we never say no to sin. God is present when his people are suffering. So one more, there are others, but one more for this morning. We can guarantee that Jesus is present when we are caring for God's people in need. Listen to Matthew 25. Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, come, you are who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It's funny, we, we tend to think if, if, we have, if we are people with resource, money or food or time, and we're going to go out into the community and we're going we're gonna to visit someone who's in the hospital, or we're going to put together a meal train for someone who's sick, or we're going to um, gather up supplies for our uh, Fresh Start Packet pantry for those that are coming out of homelessness and, and need shampoo and toothbrushes and all those, those things. We think, man, we're bringing Jesus to people. We're the hands and feet of Jesus, right? But that's not what Jesus says, is it? He says, when we go out to our brothers and sisters that have material need, they're bringing Jesus to us. When we serve the poor, especially, he says, the poor that are members of our spiritual family, 
we will find the presence of Jesus in them. Whether it's families experiencing poverty or immigrants and refugees or men and women suffering illness or brothers and sisters in prison for whatever reason, we are not so much bringing Jesus to them as they are showing Jesus to us. So these are just some of the ways that the scriptures say, when we are present in these places doing these things, Jesus guarantees that he will show up. And so if we're going to be people who live in communion with God, it's not, it's not that complicated, right? We, we just have to be people that prioritize these places where God says, this is where I am already. You don't need to conjure up some kind of strange experience. You don't need to like hope that he speaks to you through billboards. Or maybe, maybe he does occasionally. You need to prioritize these places where he says, I'm already here. Meet me here. Spend time with me here. And it's not magic. These things aren't like mystical experiences. I was talking with, with Brian this morning about how neither one of us can seem to remember things our wives tell us. I don't know if anyone else experiences that. Um, <laughs> but but the, the reality is like I get distracted sometimes. I'll be on my iPad flipping through whatever and Joanne will be talking and I can hear her talking and I'm, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, sure, uh-huh. And there have been moments where she has had to say, hey, look at my eyes. And I get offended because that's something you say to toddlers, right? <laughs> but in that moment, I'm acting a little bit like a toddler, not being an adult at that t- moment. Why? Well, she's, she's here. She's in the room. I'm in the room with her, but... God, I I really do. I need to look at her eyes. I need to focus on who she is and what she's saying. And I need to take in how she's communicating to me. And I think as we struggle through the journey we're on to follow Jesus, there are these points where God is saying, hey, look at my eyes. And we would be wise to stop whatever it is we're doing, stop whatever it is that distracts us, because there's a thousand things that are constantly distracting us, and focus in. What, is, what does your word say right here? I need, to be, I need to be present when the people of God gather together. I need to recognize my struggle against sin is, is growing me into a person that is becoming more like Jesus because he is there in the midst of my suffering. I need to be about the service of others. And I need to not be ashamed of the gospel, but proclaim it whenever I'm given the opportunity. We are becoming people who live in communion with God. We have communion with God, but we have to ch- the choice every day to recognize the circumstances where he has guaranteed his presence and to live into that reality. And church, this morning, we need to recognize that Jesus is our life. 
He is the vine. We are the branches. We can't be disconnected from him or we will wither and die. And he invites us through these normal, simple ways to draw deeper into that life, that communion. And it's my prayer that we would be a people that hunger and thirst for his presence and recalibrate our lives around these opportunities to seek it out, both individually and as a community. Any questions this morning? Nothing's come through on the phone. Anybody have any other questions? Okay. We're going to take communion right now. It's called communion. Why? Because it's one of the other ways that we have an opportunity to live in communion with God. In, in many traditions, including some of the ones that you've grown up in, maybe it's, it's called the Lord's Supper. It's this meal that belongs to Jesus. And he served the first one in the upper room on Passover, and he is present serving it now. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Now, there's, a lot of, there's been a lot of fighting over the history of the church about what that exactly means. And, and in our church, we don't believe that the, the bread and the cup actually become the body and the blood of Christ. That's, a, that's a, again, a metaphor that Jesus is using, but it's a metaphor that has a purpose. Jesus is saying, if, if you want to experience my presence, this is one of the places where it is. So I just encourage you as the band comes up and as we sing again together that you would come and take the elements of communion, the bread and the cup back to your seat and just sit in a posture of communion with God for a few moments. Recognize that he is here in this place by the power of his spirit, he is speaking. And take communion when you're ready. Also, as we sing, if you... um, If you'd like to sit or stand or come kneel at the prayer rugs, please um, adjust the posture of your body in a way that helps you connect with worship of Jesus. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.